0: Hello, hello to all my wonderful listeners out there. I just wanted to take a second to let you know about my new Patreon page. Now, what is Patreon, you might ask? Well, it is a subscription platform that makes it easy for you to support your favorite creators, and in this case, your favorite true crime podcast. So to check out our Patreon, please click the link in our episode description or in the bio of our Instagram account at bitchicantpod. caution, this podcast contains adult language, sexual themes, and depictions of violence that some may find triggering. This podcast and its hosts are not responsible for the accuracy of the material presented, as it is strictly based on our own limited research and personal opinions. The information presented is not to be confused with actual investigative files pertaining to the cases or official court and or law enforcement records and transcripts. what's going on guys if you are like me and you're of a certain age then you remember where you were when the reality tv boom of the early 2000s on vh1 took the world by storm now whether you watched flavor of love rock of love or my favorite I love New York, if you were anything like me, you were addicted to this tidal wave of trashy television. Well, today's episode involves an up-and-coming starlet from that era, an unhinged con man, and an iconic pair of breast implants. So y'all sit back, relax, today's show is a lot, but I can assure you, I don't care how many episodes I'm in on this show, I still just can't. Right, guys before we dive into today's episode i want to shout out our first patreon uh subscriber we have a patreon follower guys drew thank you so much for supporting and um for you joining the patreon also i want to thank you for giving me the idea for this episode I had no idea about this fucking story until Drew pitched it to me and I was like, bitch, shut the fuck up. So thank you so much for giving me the idea about covering this story. It's fucking insane. I will be doing listener suggestions. Um, this is our first listener suggestion. We have two more on the way. So Drew, thank you for that. And thank you for being our first Patreon patron. Yes. All right, let's get into this shit. All right, guys, we are going to dive right on into this episode. So it's early in the morning on August 15th, 2009, in the city of Buena Park in Orange County, California, when a man is engaging in his typical routine, perusing a dumpster to look for soda cans to turn in for cash. Sidebar, my dad used to make us crush soda cans every fucking Saturday in the backyard Saturday morning he would go out and collect fucking cans in the 90s and we would have to crush them in the backyard and bag them up so he could turn them in for money he had us believing that he was making all this cash and like this is how it's gonna pay for your school and then I heard my mom arguing with him she was like ninja you make like four dollars off of all that shit those kids do out in the backyard so uh, part of my trauma why I didn't drink soda can soda out of the can for a number of years but anyways I'll save that for my therapist So this man is digging through this dumpster, looking for cans. It's August 15th, 2009 in California. Now he's sifting through the garbage when something catches his eye. It's a suitcase. Well, this is where I made the assumption that this man could not have been black because we are not that curious. We're just not. Like, he must have not heard what it did to the cat, Curiosity. (laughs) He decides, like, he wants to know what's in this heavy-ass suitcase because he tried to move it, and it was super heavy. So he's like, I want to go... By, by golly, George, I want to look what's in there. Wow. So this is when he unzips this heavy suitcase, and he is fucking mortified, ruined his own life. It's like when you go through your you know, significant other's phone, you can't be upset about what you find. I mean, you can, but like, you did that to yourself, sir. So he traumatized his own, his own self by unzipping this heavy suitcase. And what he sees, stuffed and crushed inside this suitcase, is a small, contorted, naked human corpse. Yes, he ruined his own fucking day for a soda can that he's going to get no money off of, like 10 cents. Well, Mr. Curious George immediately calls the police, and the police rush to the scene to investigate Now, while they initially thought the body belonged to a child, they quickly realized that it was that of a woman. They also realized that this body is missing two key body parts that would help assist in identifying who the body is. The woman's fingers and teeth are missing, and her face has been beaten beyond recognition. Now, she had also been strangled, they determined as well. It quickly becomes obvious to the authorities that this woman had been strategically mutilated to impede the identification process. And they came to the conclusion that she had died a couple hours before the body was found. Now, while conducting the autopsy, the examiner notices that the woman had breast implants. Well, because of these fake breasts, on August 18th, three days after her body was discovered, authorities were able to successfully ID this woman by looking up the serial numbers that were imprinted on her breast implants. Bruh, I did not know that was a thing. Like, I did not know that there were serial numbers on implants that you get and they could use that to identify you. Now, the police, they have the name of the woman, and they're like, okay, we're going to reach out to her husband. They found out that her husband had reported her missing the same day her body was found. Now, the police are calling him to let him know that his wife is, you know, dead and that they found her body, and they also wanted to, you know, ultimately eliminate him as a suspect, but this fool is not picking up the phone. Now, when they finally get a hold of him, he says he had to go back to his hometown of Due to visa issues, but he's willing to cooperate with police in this investigation. All right, well, before we, you know, move forward with talking about her husband, I want to talk about the fucking woman. Like, who was this woman who was in the dumpster? Well, before her body was discovered in this goddamn dumpster, Jasmine Fiore was a vibrant young woman with her whole life ahead of her. When asked about her by an ABC news reporter, her childhood childhood friend said that Jasmine was just exciting. She brought a new lease on life to all of us. She was a beautiful girl. She knew that 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 could take her places. She wanted big things in her life, and she was going to go get them. Now, Jasmine Fiore was actually born Jasmine Lepore on February 18th, 1981, which makes her an Aquarius, uh, in the town of Booney Dune in Santa Cruz County, California, which Booney Dune is very fun to say. Now, um, she was an only child, and her father left her mom when she was around nine years old, so she was raised by a single mother, Lisa Lapore. In her youth, Jasmine enjoyed playing football and worked for a local grocery store. She was just a spunky, everyday kid. Well, in 2003, at the age of 22, she moves to San Diego to get famous and get some titties. Well, that investment paid off and the move, you know, it really did pay off because when she moved to Las Vegas in 2006, she became a swimsuit model and frequently worked as a body painted model at parties for entertainment. She appeared in shows and at Las Vegas casinos and acted in commercials for adult phone lines and bathing suits. Listen, I miss those adult phone lines. Like that was so funny. Like those commercials as a kid, they'd be like, "Mm, call us now. What are you waiting for? Like, call me. In the back of my mind, this is kind of a morbid thought. I mean, I was probably too young to be thinking this, but I was like, you know, I'd probably be good at that shit. And as I got older, I was like, you know, as a backup, like fallback, side hustle, like, I would be like, I would kill. Like, I would love to do that. But they don't they don't exist anymore because you have fucking OnlyFans. But, I mean, I, I don't know. There's something about the allure of just the voice. I mean, obviously I'm a fucking podcaster now, so I guess I kind of achieved it, but anyways, love a good adult phone line, bring them back, let's campaign for it. So she's on the phone lines talking about, you know, call me meow, Uh, and she's modeling, like, she's just living her best young, sexy life. She got a a body, blonde hair, and she is making the most of it. Well, She's modeling between Vegas and uh, Los Angeles with her eye on the prize of becoming a Playboy centerfold. Like, that is the end goal. That is what she really wants to do. Now, she is doing this during one of the most competitive eras for this scene, which is the early 2000s. And this is when Playboy was truly a force to be reckoned with as a global brand, not just within the adult industry and the celebrity scene, but it just really was like an elevated form of modeling for girls who were comfortable showing their titties. Like, if you were good with showing your titties, this was like a very elevated way to do so without as much of the stigma. Now, I know you're probably saying, like, you were giving Playboy a lot, but think about it. This is when The Girls Next Door, that show reality show featuring Hugh Hefner and his three girlfriends was aired. It went for six seasons. They became instant celebrities from this. Um, There were actually two other girls, a set of twins, who replaced those girls next door. Um, And those twins were from my hometown, actually, which was kind of funny. They actually, I think they worked at Wing House or Hooters in Largo, Florida, where I'm from. Um, So, like, Your life could change by being associated with Playboy during this time when it wasn't just this, you know, sex magazine, but it was also a launching pad for your personal brand as a reality TV personality or, you know, someone that's at the parties. Like, this is a way to really launch yourself as a brand. Well, once Jasmine became a spokesmodel for Playboy, which was a huge deal for her, uh, she was a natural, and she was very successful, like instantly. Now, when she was at the height of her Playboy success and notoriety, one of her friends, who was also one of her bosses within the company, he pulled her aside, and he said this in an interview, he pulled her aside and gave her this ominous ass warning. He told her to be very careful of who she met and who she decided to let in her life. Well, back to the body. Now we have a name and a story and a life to go with this, you know, beaten face and this crumpled up corpse that they found. Well, before we move forward with this fucked up scene and to talk more about Jasmine, um, we got to hop in a DeLorean and go back a few years. So to kick off this little side quest that we're going to do is it's an important side quest. Like we, we have to do it to get to the finish line. We're gonna bookmark Jasmine Fiore and her weird husband and the suitcase um, situation. And we're gonna talk about a seemingly unrelated woman by the name of Megan Hauserman. All right, so we are side questing. If you watched VH1 reality TV shows between 2007 and 2009, I am sure her name is ringing a bell. And if her name doesn't, her face will. The face that she had when she was on the show, not the face she has today, no shade them are two different people, Them two different white women. But anyways, so Megan was a blonde-haired, big-tittied 20-something white chick who was discovered as a cyber girl model online. In 2005, Megan formerly became a Playboy cyber girl, and while she wasn't a centerfold in the physical magazine, Megan had become one of the most notable faces of the Playboy website. Now, she modeled for their fashion line and worked with their concierge service, where she would fly to different nightclubs for appearances, and she also got to attend the infamous Playboy mansion parties. She's like a fixture in this scene. Well, by 2007, Megan was poppin'. Okay, when I tell you popping like her lip gloss, like Lil Mama, she is popping and she found herself booked and busy with reality television gigs and no longer had time to work for Playboy. Now, a little bit about Megan. She won the third season of Beauty and the Geek, which was on VH1, and it included a $125,000 grand prize, and she ended up being one of the most sought-after personalities during the VH1 reality TV show era, supremacy, like during their whole time on top. This is when she moves on to the show that I knew her from, and this is when she went on the second season of Rock of Love, where she competed for the heart and Penis of former rock star Brett Michaels. She also reached the finals of the first season of another VH1 show called I Love Money, and she appeared on Rock of Love Charm School, which was hosted by Sharon Osborne. She finished 10th place on the show and actually sued Sharon Osborne for attacking her during the reunion. They ended up settling out of court for an undisclosed amount. You know them NDAs were tight. Well, During this crazy, busy era for Megan, in 2008, VH1 approached her about having her own show, which is crazy. It's so cool. She's so excited. It's a show which they aptly named Megan Wants a Millionaire. Now, they settled on this name because she had made some comments on one of the other, other reality shows about wanting to be a kept woman with a millionaire husband. So they were like, yes, let's run with this. And so the show has been pitched They come up with the concept and they prepare to start filming in February of 2009. Now, just to give you the cliff notes overview of the premise for this show, it was that we have Megan. She has gone from being a contestant on the other shows to now being the main prize uh, and like the the you know protagonist, main protagonist of this new show, where we have 17 bachelors who all allegedly had a minimum network net worth of at least $1 million. Now, they did casting parties all over the country before finally settling on their selections of these men. Well, one of those lucky bachelors was a handsome young man by the name of Ryan Jenkins. Now, Ryan Jenkins was born on February 8th, 1977, in Victoria, Canada. Now, Ryan is also an Aquarius, which... I didn't know much about them, but I'm starting to. Uh, Ryan grew up in Calgary. He went to private schools where his dad was a well-known and rich ass architect. While they might have only worked on a few projects together professionally, um, that didn't stop Ryan from crediting himself as a successful businessman, even if he was only one by association. So, just like most nepo babies, his road he rode on the co- coattails of his dad's success. Like he was just. Yes, like, my daddy's rich, so I'm rich. Um, Having this inflated sense of self, Ryan decided that living in his father's shadows wasn't enough, and he wanted to be a star all on his own. Reminds me of that clip of that girl. But I'm a star! Anyways, this is when he decided to go on uh, and be a contestant on Megan Once a Millionaire. Now, while he claimed that his net worth at the time was around $2.5 million, that's what he told producers, It was later discovered um, that his net worth was actually much lower and that he was not a millionaire at all. His dad was. Now, when our girl Megan met Ryan, they had an instant connection and she knew from the jump that he was her favorite of the contestants. In a recent interview, she said, I would just describe our connection as very natural. I think we were both attracted to each other and had a lot in common. I thought that maybe it was going to go somewhere. We had been talking to each other for about a month during filming. We would talk every night on the phone. He was writing me love letters and told me he was going to move to California from Canada to be with me. We were having a phone relationship outside of filming, which no one knew about. I had basically told him, I'm going to pick you. Now, on the show, you know... Ryan was very jealous, and he would get very angry that Megan was flirting with and kissing the other guys, which it was literally the point of the show. And he was a little possessive during their conversations, but it didn't, like, alarm Megan. She was probably like, whatever, like, I'm into some toxic shit, like, whatever, this isn't that bad. Well, when the con- competition got down to the final three bachelors, Megan had decided that she was going to pick Ryan. And so she tells the producers this, and they're like, skirt, naho, that is not the plan. Megan would later say this was the first time she realized that the decision of who she was actually going to be with wasn't up to her at all, <laughs> which is just reality TV for you. So the producers had already decided on a guy who they wanted to be the winner. They told Megan that Ryan wasn't likable in his interviews, and they explained that viewers wouldn't want him to win. So then Megan's just like, okay, fine, Like, I'm going to do what I need to do. And she wanted to give Ryan a heads up because, you know, they had this whole side relationship going on. So she wanted to give him a heads up about his impending elimination, but she didn't have enough time. And she also didn't want to jeopardize the show and jeopardize that bag she was getting. So during his actual elimination, which is, you know, obviously televised, or recorded for the show, Megan said that she was literally repeating what she was being told through a microphone in her ear, like word for word which is just crazy that none of this, I mean, listen, I know that reality TV is fake, but back then I thought everything was real, but mm, maybe not. So after the elimination, uh, Ryan started calling Megan repeatedly from the hotel and she was getting ready for the finale of the show in Mexico. So she ignored his call uh, because, you know, she was with the producers and she didn't want them to know, you know, he was calling and she just really was like, she wanted to talk to him, but she's just like, I can't talk right now. Well, two days later, he calls Megan again, and this time she picks up, and he proceeds to say, I have met the love of my life, and I'm married. (laughs) Bruh. Yeah. Well, a few days after being eliminated from the show, Ryan had had allegedly, you know, when he was on the mend, he was was in a nightclub in Las Vegas, and this is where he met a girl who almost had the exact same birthday as him. And her name was Jasmine Fiore. Mm. They met and they hit it off on March 16th on the dance floor. And two days later, on March 18th, they were married in a little white chapel on the Vegas Strip. Well, naturally, Ryan presented himself as a millionaire who was going to be on TV because you have to keep in mind that the show has been filmed in its entirety. So now it's just waiting to air, basically. So there's a date scheduled for the show to air. So he's just like, baby, listen, like I'm going to be on TV. Like, I was on this show. And Jasmine is like, oh, shit, you know, all right, he cute and he rich and he's going to be on TV. So the two of them thought they were going to be this, like, little you know, kind of trashy power couple, you know, like I'm like, you know, this douche guy in Vegas who does reality TV. You're this playboy model who, you know, you do your own thing. And like, you know, we're notorious. We're just going to be this baddie couple. Well, you know, obviously I get the sense that they were both not really using each other, but they wanted stardom and this marriage was going to make them a hot commodity. So almost immediately No shit. They started having problems. Well, duh, bitch, you knew this man for 48 hours. Like, really? Jasmine quickly realizes that Ryan was broke and that he was full of promises that just fell through. He kept saying that his money was stuck in Canada. Yeah, his money was stuck in his dad's wallet. Duh. So now he's spending her money. And so she is like, uh uh, this is not what I signed up for, sir. So it is becoming a fucking mess. Well, Bitch, this is when the plot gets thicker than a snicker, y'all, because two weeks later, our girl, reality star Megan, receives a text message from Ryan, married Ryan, and it says, I got caught up after the show and made a hasty decision with the girl, as you know. But it's very obvious I'm not with my soulmate here. If you'd like to see if there could be something, we should talk. (laughs) So Megan had a soft spot for him, so she agrees that they'll meet up when she has the time. And they are still wet in communication during this time. Well, we're going to jump ahead a few months to June of 2009. This is when uh, Ryan and his wife Jasmine are at a party in Vegas. <clears throat> and they have been drinking, day drinking, which is the worst kind of drinking. It's the most fun kind, but it's like one of the messiest kind. Uh, and this is when they're super fucked up. And Jasmine starts making out with another guy and Ryan snaps and punched Jasmine in the arm so hard that it knocks her in the pool. Um, and someone calls the police and Ryan is arrested. Ryan spends a night in jail. And according to the Clark County, Nevada court records, Ryan was arrested with domestic, excuse me, with battery constituting domestic violence, um, for hitting and grabbing Jasmine's arm. Well, the man Jasmine was kissing wasn't just any man. He was her ex-fiance, Travis Heinrich, who was a millionaire real estate developer. Now, this guy, Travis, says that he witnessed them arguing, just going at it after, I guess, he'd been kissing, you know, Jasmine, and he said he witnessed Ryan hit her and knock her into the pool. He also said that um, shortly after this incident... Jasmine confided in him, telling him that she was in over her head with this marriage and that she wanted to get out of it, but she didn't know how. Well, this same month in June of 2009, after the pool party incident, Ryan leaves Vegas and goes back to LA and calls, you know, and he meets up with Megan. So him and Megan link up and she agrees to meet him for dinner. She said that he looked like he'd lost a ton of weight, he was pale, he was shaky, he was paranoid, he was just not himself. He was not the man that she, you know, quote-unquote fell in love with on this reality TV show. He told her that Jasmine was ruining his life and that he didn't want to leave her, but she was ruining his life. But he's like, I don't want her to leave me, but... (laughs) she's ruining my life which i can't. Well, Megan decides that she wants to help him get out of this toxic ass relationship with Jasmine. So she pulls a few strings and she gets him casted on season 3 of VH1's reality show I Love Money. Well, eventually Jasmine does find out about this meeting that the, you know, that he her husband has met up with Megan and she's not happy about it. So once again, Ryan and Jasmine are at odds. Things are starting to snowball out of control when it comes to just how toxic their relationship is getting. Well, by the next month, in July of 2009, Ryan goes to Mexico to film season three of I Love Money, thanks to Megan. Well, while he's gone, Jasmine is just going through it, and she kind of goes off the grid socially. She dyes her hair from blonde to jet black, black, and she decides to kind of revamp her image. She's also actively trying to get their marriage annulled at this time. Now, when Ryan stepped foot onto the set of that show, he was determined, like, next-level obsessed determined he was going to win this show. He was like, that $250,000 grand prize is mine. And he, in his mind, he, and what he told people was that that prize money was going to help him win his wife back. Now, according to his former castmates on that show, he appeared very jealous when he would talk to Jasmine on the phone, whenever he would give her calls, he would be asking her a ton of questions like, where have you been, who have you been with, bitch, like what you're doing, and he was constantly trying to keep tabs on her. Well, on July 27th, he sends an email to Jasmine begging her to just, let's start over, take me, like let's just, let's not divorce, like just, let's make this work, and she agrees to well, little time goes on, and Jasmine and Ryan are on their fucked up red flag seesaw, just up and down. And the next month is August. You know, they decide to take a trip to San Diego for a poker tournament. So, according to the surveillance videos at the hotel they checked in at in San Diego on August thirteenth, two thousand nine, at three twenty eight p.m., they arrive. You can see them unloading their luggage from Jasmine's car, and if you're paying attention to the footage. You will notice, and this is what the police noticed later one of those suitcases is the same one they later found Jasmine's body in. But oh, let's get back to the story. Well, at 6 25 p.m. that day, later that evening, they are seen leaving the hotel together to go to the tournament. Well, while she was at the tournament with Ryan, Jasmine is glued to her phone. She was texting a guy named Robert Hassman, who was another ex-boyfriend and was another super wealthy high-end realtor in Vegas. So she texts Robert saying, send a plane for me, come get me. I'm coming back to Vegas to be with you and I'm done with Ryan. Well, an hour or so goes by and Robert gets another text from Jasmine that led him to believe that Ryan had taken her phone, which he was known to do. The text simply said "suck it." So more than likely, Ryan had gone through her texts uh, to Robert and read through those, and then replied with "you know, suck it," just to end their conversation. Well, according to witnesses at the tournament, they had a big argument, and then they leave and they go to Ivy Nightclub in San Diego around midnight. Well, they leave the Ivy an hour later, around one a.m., to go pick up Jasmine's car at the poker tournament. And they hang out at the tournament when they got back there till around 2.30 a.m. And that is the last time anyone sees Jasmine again before she's stuffed in the fucking suitcase. Well, on the hotel surveillance cameras later that in the morning, the wee hours in the morning, you know, you can see Ryan by himself at four o'clock a.m. Running to his room in what seems like a panic, like he is like freaked the fuck out and running to his room. To their room, rather. But he's by himself. The footage never shows Jasmine ever entering the room again. Well, what's interesting is that there was a parking lot behind their room, which you could access through the room's patio. Now, investigators would later find slivers of Jasmine's hair and blood on the patio. So since there's no surveillance on the patio, police are convinced that Ryan took her in through the patio and brought her inside. Now, according to witnesses in the hotel around this time, they heard them screaming. They heard screaming and arguing, which means Jasmine wasn't dead. But considering how badly her face was beaten when the police found her body, they're wondering if he hadn't beaten, beaten her already, and that's why he snuck her into the room rather than walking her through the front. Um, and that's why he was panicking, maybe, because he'd already done some damage. You know, I, what? they don't know what state she was in when she entered the room because nobody saw her. Now, police concluded that he strangled her to death, more than likely, in the hotel room. They also think he took her into the bathtub when he cut off her fingers, and since they couldn't find those fingers, they think maybe he flushed them down the toilet. They believe that this is where he stuffed her into the suitcase, and he took her out of the patio into the parking lot and put the suitcase into her car. Well, at 6.24 a.m., surveillance footage shows Ryan leaving the hotel through the actual, you know, front door of the hotel room, um, walking down the hallway with his clothes in his hands in stacks. They also noted that none of the luggage he came with when he when he arrived um, was with him when he left, which this is why police are assuming he emptied the suitcase so he could put Jasmine in it, took it out of the patio and then walked out of the front door with all of his clothes in his hands. Now, when police later checked his phone records, Ryan made a combined 30 phone calls and text messages between the hours of 9.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. on August 14th, which is the same morning they believe she was murdered. Now, via additional footage from freeway cams, the police watched Ryan drive up and down the freeway. They assume he was looking for a place to dump the body. So now we have the police who have this newly identified body. They have the body of Jasmine. Jasmine. We're going to go back to the dumpster where they have this body. But they aren't sure of how it came to be in this suitcase. Well, since her body was naked, naked, police do a rape kit. Now, via this kit, they discover DNA, semen to be exact. Now, when they run the DNA through their database, they find out that this semen belongs to a man who had just been released from prison named Michael Cardosi. Girl, clutch your fucking pearls because I can't. Now, when police go to check for, you know, where the, what's the correlation between this man and Jasmine? How do they know each other? They find out that this man is Jasmine's ex-husband who had just gotten out of prison on parole after a three-year bid for drug trafficking. Bruh. Police were even more shocked to find out that Jasmine had gone to visit this man, her ex-husband, just three days before she went back to San Diego with Ryan. Bruh. She went to go visit him to welcome him home from prison with open arms and apparently open legs. Listen, y'all. I can't. They even took photos together with him and his family, like, after he got out of the prison. Like, she's there with his family with open arms meeting him there. Um... And then she went back to, I guess, wherever he was staying, his mother's house or wherever he was staying after he was released from prison, and they hooked up. According to Michael's mother, her ex-husband's mother, Jasmine and Michael were ecstatic ecstatic to see one another, and they had a two-day reunion with each other, (laughs) which is crazy. Now, you would think this would make Michael a suspect, but no. No. Thanks to his ankle monitor, police knew exactly where Michael had been, so there was no way that he murdered Jasmine and took her body to Orange County. So he is officially off the list, and the only suspect is, is um, Ryan. Now, what's really crazy is that by August 16th, Michael was sent back to jail for violating the terms of his probation. I can't. So I just want to take a, a second to just point out, like, Jasmine was doing it the utmost. If you start to really look at these details, like, she had been in San Diego, which is, like, a a two-and-a-half-hour drive from L.A., like, without traffic. And so, you have her doing this drive. She's there, fucking on her ex-husband, who just got out of prison, went back to Los Angeles and then came back to San Diego again with her husband. And while she's with her husband, she's texting her ex-boyfriend saying, send me a plane, I'm going to be with you and go to Vegas to live with you and start a new life and leave my husband. She's doing a lot. Like, whoa. And just to clarify, I'm not victim-shaming and saying, oh, she had it coming. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm acknowledging the fact that, bruh, Anyone can see, no matter how sad the the end result of the case is, like, this is a lot. And if we're going to look at this objectively, like, had it been anyone else doing this, if she hadn't gotten murdered, we'd be saying she did the most. So let me just clarify that before anybody comes for me. But anyway. Okay, so we've got this international manhunt now for Ryan. Police announced that he is formerly a suspect- And what's crazy about the timing of this announcement is that Megan Once a Millionaire had only been on TV for three weeks. So, like, like I told you, they had filmed the whole show. Um, Everyone went on about their business and then they set the date for it to air and it airs. And literally three weeks in, this announcement is made that one of the contestants is a fucking, possibly a fucking murderer. So, huh. So Megan is shook, right? Our girl, reality TV Megan, is like, what the fuck? Now, she said that when she heard the story that, you know, Jasmine was missing and Jasmine, or Jasmine was dead, rather, and Ryan is missing, she assumed that it had been an accident or something, and she's just like, there's no way. There's no way this man killed her. So police are looking for Ryan. It's all over the news. There's just so much media coverage, and while this is happening, because the world is fucking trash... So many people are searching for Jasmine's nudes online that it becomes a top online search. Like, they're like, yeah, we found this dead Playboy model. And everyone's like, let me see those titties. Which is, I, I just can't. I'm not surprised, but I just can't. Now, let's get back to the police. They have gone through all the surveillance from the hotel, like I mentioned earlier. They've gone through the freeway cams. They've gone through their phones. They've discovered, you know, this is like the, you know, We have a a storyline for what happened that day. And they're attempting to further trace Ryan's tracks. Well, on August 19th, just five days after Jasmine's body was found, Ryan emptied out his storage unit and took his wakeboard and his boat. He hitches them to his BMW and traveled to the U.S.-Canadian border. Now, Canadian Mounties get a call to be on the lookout for Ryan And this is because the Coast Guard spotted a man who they thought was him in a speedboat heading towards the border. Now, unfortunately, because it was nighttime, they lost him. So Ryan allegedly parked his boat at a marina about a half mile from the Canadian border and decided to go on foot through a ditch into the woods to take him into Canada because there's no fucking fence or wall Now, once on the other side, Ryan's sister picks him up and takes him to a hotel in Hope in British, in a place called Hope in British Columbia in Canada. Now, on that same day, August 19th, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police announced that they believed Ryan crossed into Canada between August 19th and August 20th, and that a man matching Ryan's description was seen piloting this boat in the marina, um in Point Roberts, which is where Ryan's stepmother lives, so everyone in Canada is looking out for him now. Well, on August 20th, the next day, Ryan is formally charged with Jasmine's murder, and an arrest warrant was issued. The same day, Ryan called his father, who had been detained at the airport because of this, but his father had to hang up the call and wasn't able to reach Ryan again. Now, at the same time, Jasmine's white Mercedes was found abandoned in a parking lot in West Hollywood, about a mile from the penthouse where that Fiore shared with Ryan in Fairfax District, Los Angeles. Now, police reported that there was a significant amount of blood and some of the evidence of some evidence of hair pulling throughout this vehicle. Well, just a few days later on August 23rd, the employees at the hotel where Ryan was staying in Canada found his body hanging from a clothes rack by a belt. Now, there was no suicide note found at the motel. Um, however, police found a document saved on Ryan's computer, which was titled Last Will and Testament, and it was dated August twentieth, two 2009. Now, Sergeant Bill Ko- Kohanek, who discovered the document, said that About half of the letter was describing how much he loved her, and in the same breath, he would talk about how frustrated she made him, and how he felt very jealous about some of her relationships, and that frustrated him immensely. Now, following the announcement that Ryan was convicted with the murder of Jasmine, like I said, only three episodes into Megan Once a Millionaire, VH1 put the show on indefinite hiatus out of respect for Jasmine's family. It also deleted the show's page from the official VH1 website and dropped reruns of past shows from its schedule. It removed the show's archived episodes from the iTunes Store and cable video on demand services, leading to speculation that the show would never air again, which was a fair speculation. In a statement at the time, VH1 said that its ultimate responsibility is what's on our air, and in this case, we immediately took the show off the schedule as well as off our digital platforms. Everyone has a role to play in the hundreds of hours of original programming that we develop each year, the network noted. Something went wrong here, so we're all looking at the process to make sure it doesn't happen again. Well, y'all, the story gets even gaggier. Around that time when Ryan had initially gone on the run and was missing, good old TMZ uncovered his criminal records from 2007. They found out that he'd been convicted uh, for assaulting a woman in Calgary. Ryan had been sentenced to 15 months of probation and a sex addiction therapy program for assaulting his then-girlfriend. Now, the charges had been expunged, which is why he was able to pass this background check for Megan Once a Millionaire. While VH1 and their production company, which is named 51 Minds, insisted that it didn't appear in the background check, 51 Minds said in a statement that it was taking steps to ensure that that sort of lapse never occurs again. The incident had never been disclosed to VH1 or Megan Once a Millionaire producer 51 Minds. In a statement, 51 Minds said that it would not have allowed Ryan on the show had it known about the 2007 incident. VH1 had hired Collective Intelligence, which is a private investigation firm, to perform background checks on Ryan and the other contestants. Now, Collective Intelligence doesn't perform background checks outside of the United States, so they outsourced the vetting of uh, their Canadian guy, Ryan, to another firm, which was named Straight Line International. Now, according to creative intelligence founder Erica Worth, no one from Straight Line would return her calls uh, after the news of Ryan's conviction broke. So she reached out to this company they outsourced uh, and was like, what the fuck? And they're off the grid. Well, in 2009, Collective Intelligence sued Straight Line for breach of contract. And the suit alleged that Straight Line had falsely told Collective Intelligence that Ryan's record was clean and that he'd also... Uh, failed to check Ryan against the RCMP criminal database. Collective Intelligence claimed to have lost valuable business from Viacom, who's the owner of VH1, NBC, and ABC, as a result of the damage to his reputation. In 2020, Creative Intelligence's founder told Entertainment Weekly that she had been forced to lay off almost all of her staff and spent years rebuilding her firm. Now Straight Line, who's the outsourced firm, ultimately ultimately paid Collective Intelligence $810,000 to settle the suit. On August 21st, VH1 told the New York Times that Megan Once a millionaire would not return to the air. The day after Jenkins' death, VH1 officially announced the show was canceled and that it would not run a third the third season of I Love Money. Because remember, he did another reality show that same around the same time which was called I Love Money. And what's fucking crazy is that he won. Remember I told you he was like psycho and was like, I'm going to win this money to get my, get back my wife? He fucking won, which is wild. So 51 Minds, the production company, was forced to reimburse VH1 over $12 million in losses because of this, which is crazy because they only got $810,000 from the company that they outsourced who ultimately failed to vet Ryan. Wild. Entertainment Weekly has reported that this whole Ryan Jenkins Jasmine, you know, situation um had a, a considerable considerable effect on the reality TV show industry. Um, 51 Minds founder said that the incident um, lends every conversation I have um, when vetting potential contestants. He added that 51 Minds now makes it a point to keep in contact with contestants after production ends. Christopher Cantilano, who served as senior casting director for Megan Once a Millionaire, has since moved to CBS as senior casting producer for Big Brother. Now, he recalled that something felt off about Ryan Jenkins at the time of filming And that the fallout from Jasmine's murder made him even more um, willing to listen to his gut feelings about contestants. As he put it, I'd rather be wrong than end up with another Ryan Jenkins. He recalled that in recent years, networks and studios who work with Collective Intelligence, uh, that company, have wanted a thorough report from her firm without regards to budgetary questions. So they don't care the cost. They're like, bitch, vet these people. Now, our girl Megan, she claims that her entire brand and career were ruined by this whole Ryan Jasmine murder situation, and that her association with Ryan was a stain that she could never actually, like, successfully wash out. She said that the production company that she had been working with for years told her that the whole situation was like cancer, like a cancer, so they had to cut everything out. Including her. So they couldn't work with her anymore, and subsequently they canceled all of her contracts. Now, in a recent interview, she says that for a long time she couldn't even think about all of this or talk about it. She said she just couldn't deal with it. But she says that now telling the story has been, or her side of the story has been therapeutic. She said, I still do feel to this day that it could have been me. I feel like it was a very close call. I feel like I was interchangeable in his life with Jasmine, and that is very scary. So she feels like Ryan could have killed her, which. Very accurate. In October of two thousand nine, Ryan's father hired a private investigator to prove that his son didn't commit the crime. Which girl, like I, I'm sure it's heartbreaking for a family to have to go through this. But like, bruh, your son is the only suspect, so nothing came of this. So yeah, guys, this shit is just fucking wild. I thank you guys for tuning into this crazy roller coaster of an episode. Um, please don't kill your wives. Please just don't be out here killing people. Like let's just not and say we did. Um, there, if you want to research about more about this story, uh, it's everywhere. It's on Playboy Murders on HBO. It is on um, top, millions of podcasts have covered this. So, um, R.I.P. to our girl Jasmine and this whole Ryan situation. It's just it's just wild. But thanks for tuning in, y'all. Make sure that you are subscribed on. Uh, what is it, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, on Amazon Music, on Audible, any way that you want to listen to this show, feel free. Guys, we are now on TikTok. Listen, I am so excited about being on TikTok. I just got on TikTok. We have, my content has been blowing up. I have some amazing followers on there. Um, I have someone named Savvy Richards. That's her TikTok name, we have been chatting it up. Love her. Not my not my brother's keeper is a great. It's actually a really funny true crime podcast. He and I we have been chatting back and forth. Um, manic Muffin. We have been kikiing and just talking about everything that she's been listening to on the show. Um, Also, um, one of my Instagram followers, we have been talking. um, Who is it? Who is it? What is her name? My Instagram follower, um, Mama Chimaru, we have been chatting it up as well. So, thank you guys for all that you do and for all the support. And yeah, guys, thank you for tuning in. And we will talk soon. New episode will be out on be out on Thursday. We'll have another one on Monday as well. And before we go, I just want to wish a very happy birthday to Miss Lady Red, my favorite Virgo besides Beyonce, one of my favorite humans on this earth. You are just awesome. Thank you for tuning in. I cannot wait to see you soon. And now we'll end the show. All right. Bye.